From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Thursday edition, the Kremlin lashing out at the Biden administration, saying that President Biden calling Vladimir Putin a war criminal was unforgivable and unacceptable. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki appeared to walk back the president's comments yesterday. The president's remarks speak for themselves. Uh, he was speaking from his heart and speaking from what he's seen on television, which is barbaric actions by a brutal dictator uh, through his invasion of a foreign country. Does the charge that Putin is a war criminal carry a responsibility? We'll talk with New Jersey Congressman Chris Smith, a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. We'll also get an update from war correspondent Chuck Holton, who has left Ukraine, crossing the border into Romania. And Deputy Secretary of Russia's Security Council, Dmitry Medvedev, said the U.S. is stoking Russia-phobia. Interesting, even our enemies are now playing identity politics. Medvedev said Russia might have to, quote, put their enemies in their place, end quote. We'll get the latest from Capitol Hill on how Congress is responding to yesterday's plea from Ukrainian President Zelensky for more help against the Russians. And we'll also get an update on what's happening with Iran and the nuclear deal from Florida Congressman Greg Stubbe, a member of the House Armed Services Committee. And Leader Boehner mentioned that tourists lined up in summer and winter, long lines coming into the Capitol in the summertime because of the high humidity and how hot it gets here, you could literally smell the tourists coming into the Capitol. <laughs> That was the late Harry Reid, then Democratic Majority Leader of the U.S. Senate, back in 2008 at the dedication of the Capitol Visitor Center, which diverts Americans away from the actual Capitol. You know, the Democrats' aversion to the public continues as they drag their feet on reopening the Capitol complex to the American people, proposing a three-phased process that will go past Labor Day. Congressman Brian Stiles says it's time to open the Capitol now. He joins us later. And what can only be described as yet another warning of the path America is on, Kristen Wagner, a lead attorney with Alliance Defending Freedom, who has been on this program many times, had to have security escort her safely out of a free speech event at Yale when students began to riot because she was invited to speak. Some would say, well, what's new about that? I know, I've had his security escort me off the campus of LSU, my alma mater. But there's something even more dangerous about what happened at Yale. Kristen joins us later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you miss anything, it's all archived right there, along with lots of resources for you. Now, yesterday, for some reason, I got a little ahead of myself in our Bible reading plan. So today, our verse of the day once again comes from Numbers chapter 10. In fact, Numbers 1035. So it was whenever the ark set out, that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. All I can say to that is, Rise up, O Lord. To find out more about how you can join our Bible reading plan, go to frc.org Bible. Well, even as Ukrainian President Zelensky delivered a powerful address to Congress yesterday, Russian air campaigns continue to batter cities throughout the war-torn country, including an airstrike on uh, a theater where hundreds had gathered for shelter. We're seeing in real time the brutality of war given technology. We're joined now for an update on the latest news by freelance war correspondent Chuck Holton. Chuck reported on much of this from Ukraine and has since crossed the border into Romania. Chuck, thanks so much for joining us. Welcome back. Glad to be here. Now, you're in Romania, but what is the latest uh, from Ukraine as you crossed over? What was the sense after President Zelensky addressed the U.S. Congress? Well, it was an easy day crossing the border. It was only a three-hour wait out in the cold with no shelter, no bathroom. Uh, it's it really torturous. Uh, getting across. And they said, oh, if you had come yesterday or the day before, it was much, much longer. Uh, I, I don't know how they get away uh, actually making people stand out in the cold that long with children and, and old people and that sort of thing. But now, which, uh, side of the, I, which side of the border is that on? Is that on the Romanian side of the border? No, that's actually on the Ukrainian side. That was actually to get out of Ukraine to cross uh, through what, you know, the uh, uh, border checkpoint on the Ukraine side took 
very, very long. They only had two people working and they had hundreds of people in line. And then uh, actually getting across the Romanian part was very simple. It just waved you on through. And there were a lot, once you got through, there was a lot of help to be had from NGOs and Christian organizations that are there passing out food and warm hats and things like that. So what's the uh, what's the delay coming out of Ukraine? Why why the long lines getting out? I mean, I would think they would be wanting well, people to get to safety quickly. I think any for any former Soviet country, uh, red tape is kind of like the national sport, uh, and so that was part of it. But uh, they also have this uh, kind of uh, they're they're not allowing any men from age 18 to 60 to leave the country without a very good reason. So any men that were in line, uh, you know, had to go through a lot of checks and things like that. But also uh, they are letting women and children go first. And so if you're a man like me, uh, you're sitting there letting the women go first and then more people show up and they let the women go first and then more people show up and so on and so forth. So you just keep getting pushed further and further back in the line. And that's why it took me so long to get across. So, Chuck, are you hearing anything positive on the negotiations for uh, peace there between Russia and Ukraine? Well, what we're seeing is this horrific amount of civilian deaths, uh, the t- basically terrorism that's being engaged in by Russia. And that actually is uh, sort of good news in a way. I hate to say it that way, but uh, what that means is that Russia feels like that's its only option at this point because they are losing so badly on the battlefield. Whenever they engage Ukrainian forces, they are losing. And they've lost so many tanks and so many armored personnel carriers and so many helicopters that they they really don't want to engage the Ukrainians. And they are out of uh, a lot of things, fuel, uh, ammunition, food. And so as they're running out of everything, the only thing they have left is these uh, smirch rockets that they just kind of launch at will. Then they have, you know, rockets they launch from aircraft and they're launching them on civilian targets because it's easier. But that shows that they are getting desperate and they're losing militarily. And so I think you're starting to see in the negotiations some wiggle room where they're starting to say, "Okay, well, maybe we're not going to give you ultimatums anymore, but maybe we'll actually talk about something to, to get this war stopped. And I think you will see that continue in the weeks to come. As the uh, Ukrainians continue to hold the line, which uh, they and, seem to be doing suffer, quite well. Right. Yes. Uh, Chuck, thanks so much for joining us. Always great to talk with you and uh, appreciate uh, the reports you've provided to us over the last few weeks. All right. Well, as the as Chuck described, the Ukrainians holding is forcing the Republicans, uh, <laughs> forcing the Ru- Russians rather, to uh, to come to the table of negotiations. Maybe. Maybe peace is in the offering. We'll see. Uh, Joining us now, Congressman uh, Greg Stubbe. He is a member of the House Armed Services uh, Committee. Uh, Greg, welcome back to Washington Watch. Yeah, thanks for having me. You heard uh, Chuck's description of what's taking place on the ground there in Ukraine as he's crossed over into Romania. Ukrainians holding, the Russians becoming desperate. Uh, Do you think that we might be at a place, if the U.S. will step up its support for Ukraine, that we could see a negotiated peace? Well, with the aid that was just uh, approved last week by Congress, it was $14 billion, $3.5 billion of that was specifically for military aid, equipment, weapons. And then uh, President Biden yesterday announcing anti-aircraft, anti-tank weapons and ammunition that's going to be sent. Hopefully that's going to allow the Ukrainians to further defend themselves. Um, The president didn't take the step uh, to go to transferring MiGs or aircraft to be able to defend themselves. But with the stalling of the reports that we're getting from all the different uh, assets on the ground, it sounds like the Russians, uh, if the Ukrainians get more of this weaponry and defensive weaponry, um, like the drones that are going to be sent That'll help them tremendously defending against the attacks. And uh, maybe at some point Putin will pull back. Uh, But I just can't see that. I think he's determined uh, to try to overtake the country. So what I'm afraid is uh, he's going to get desperate and then do something um, that, that no one in the world wants him to do. That is the concern that many have, that he's not one who will back down and in desperation could, uh, to, could escalate. Uh, that, I would think, would draw others into this battle beyond just the Ukrainian forces. 
It would. And with the talk, you know, there's been a lot of bluffing and talk around the edges about tactical nukes and that type of weaponry. And if that is launched, um, I don't think that the Western world can sit back and watch a country uh, get attacked by nuclear warfare. I think that would uh, allow the NATO allies to come in and defend Ukraine. I think America would be put in a very tough position uh, in order to, to defend the Ukrainian people and not allow one of our enemies to be able to use nuclear warfare in Europe. Is that a message that needs to be delivered now to uh, to Putin from this administration and from NATO? Well, it needs to be delivered now. And it, all of this should have been delivered, you know, weeks, months ago. I mean, this administration is so far behind the eight ball on what we should be doing. The moment the, the Russians were building up on the Ukrainian border, that's when the sanctions should have started. That's when they should have sanctioned the Russian government. That's when they should have sanctioned Russian oil and gas. They should have never repealed the sanctions on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which opened up billions of dollars of revenue to the Russian government. Uh, Zelensky himself has told other members of Congress that that revenue has helped fund the war against them. So there's so many things that could have been done to prevent where we're at now. And unfortunately, we're now in a circumstance where Russians engaging militarily in Ukraine, and now you don't have a lot of options. The the sanctions came too late. Um, The Russians are obviously going to be able to work through um, the Chinese to get some economic buffering, but those sanctions should have been put in place months ago to prevent this from happening to begin with. Uh, Congressman Stupe, I want to shift gears for just a moment. Just got a couple minutes left. But while all the focus is on Ukraine and Russia, uh, you have the issue of the Iranian nuclear deal, which is, uh, as reports are saying, very close to reaching an agreement. Of course, Russia playing a role in that as well. What is the latest on the negotiations that you're hearing about? Well, the latest is you have an administration who is negotiating with a uh, a, a country that chants death to America and death to Israel. And they're so desperate to get oil from another country because now they've decided with because of pressure to not take Russian oil where they're now they want to get it from Iran. They want to get it from Venezuela, our enemies and going into a failed deal with the Iranians. That is the absolute worst case scenario for our country. There is no way that we should agree to any path to nuclear capabilities for the Iranian regime. Absolutely not. Um, The Trump administration was smart and cared about the security and safety of Americans to get out of the JCPOA that was negotiated by the Obama administration and to even think that we're going to negotiate with the Iranians. And that deal's brokered by the Russians. And then if that deal goes through, the Russians would be able to use that deal with the Iranians to subvert the Western sanctions that are currently in place. So the Russians know that if that deal goes through, they'll just use that deal with the Iranians to subvert all the Western sanctions that have been placed on them. We seem to be negotiating from a position of weakness rather than strength. When I say we, the United States, uh, this is... uh, This is a pathway for Iran to have a nuclear weapon through this this deal. Yeah, it's a path to a nuclear weapon. It's a path to open up financial resources to them. There's also talk today about them uh, removing the terrorist sanctions for one of their terrorist regimes. Uh, What that does is opens up billions of dollars of revenue to that terrorist regime so that they can commit terror all across the world. I mean, haven't we learned our lesson Greg, we got to leave it there. Thanks so much. We're out of time. Thanks for joining Religious liberty is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's choice and to live according to those beliefs. At Family Research Council, we believe religious liberty is an inherent human right that needs to be protected by all governments. Tragically, religious persecution is increasing in many regions around the world, although it is rarely acknowledged by the mainstream media. Christians are called by God to care for the persecuted church, the weak and downtrodden, and those who cannot defend themselves. That is why it is imperative that believers advocate for the persecuted. You can learn more about this issue and what you can do to fight for those who cannot fight for themselves by going to frc.org slash religious liberty. There you will find Family Research Council's latest resources on religious freedom. Learn what steps you can take to help the cause of the persecuted by visiting frc.org slash religious liberty. 
Here's a moment of Hope for Your Home with Jerry and Becky Drace. There's this kid at school, Dad, who hates me and pushes me and knocks my books out of my hands. So, Dad, Mom, what, what do you say when they say this to you? Well, listen to Ephesians 6, verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Sad to say, but bullying is a reality. Holding power over somebody is threatening and dangerous. Teach your children to be strong and know what to do when they feel threatened. Let them know that telling their teacher is important and they can always come to you. So before you react, think it through. Then help them develop a plan of action. Help them work through their fear. We cannot back down when we are faced with certain danger. But God will provide a way out, and your children need to know that God is stronger than any old bully. Learn more about the ministry of Jerry and Becky Drace, including evangelism with integrity, devotions, articles, and more at hopeforthehome.org. This has been a moment of hope for your home. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that's MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for healthcare can save the typical family 500 bucks a month, and that's huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The customer satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century, and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes. A very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. Correction earlier uh, in our last segment, I said Greg Stubbe was a member of the House Armed Services Committee. He's actually on the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Uh, President Biden took a uh, what I would call a major rhetorical step yesterday when he confirmed that he considers Russian President Vladimir Putin a war criminal. This signifies the harshest criticism from any administration official to date. But more than a week ago, Congress held its first hearing to hold Putin accountable, pressing for the prosecution of Putin for war crimes. Here to discuss this is Congressman Chris Smith of New Jersey. He is the ranking a member of the Congressional Executive Commission on China, co-chair of the Tom Lantos Human Rights Commission, senior member on the House Committee on Foreign Affairs, and also the ranking member on the Subcommittee on Africa, Global Health, and Global Human Rights in International Organizations. Chris, welcome back to the program. Tony, thank you so very much for having me on. I appreciate it. I want to play this clip uh, very quickly of the president yesterday being asked this question about whether or not uh, Vladimir Putin was or is a war criminal. Play clip number one, please. Mr. President, after everything we've seen, are you ready to call Putin a war criminal? No. All right. A lot of noise back there. This was at a White House event. He was asked by a Fox reporter, Mr. President, after everything you've seen, are you ready to call Putin a war criminal? Biden said no. But then 30 seconds later, did you ask me whether I would call? And the, the, the reporter said a war criminal. He said, oh, I do think he is a war criminal. Now, let me ask you, Congressman Smith, that uh, declaration by the president, uh, that's words, but words require actions. What would be the next step? Well, the next step would be for the State Department, which is already suggesting it needs to further investigate. I mean, who launched this blitzkrieg into Ukraine that is analogous to the Nazis going into Poland uh, in 1939? It was, it was Putin. Uh, and we have seen every day that civilians are being targeted, schools, hospitals, uh, and that is absolutely a, a violation of G Geneva Conventions. It's also, uh, it is de jure a war crime. And the person doing it is Vladimir Putin. Uh, I th believe, and this is what our, our hearing was focused on, that he needs to be designated as a war crime. A, a tribunal, international tribunal, needs to be set up 
immediately, no delay, like we've done in the past, uh, and, and, and so designate him. It could be done almost overnight. And then to the record, his other atrocities could be added uh, going forward. But the evidence is overwhelming. And, and Tony, you know this because you were very much involved with this. When, when ISIS was, was slaughtering Christians, uh, and many of them made their way into Erbil, and I went there and visited with those individuals, uh, the State Department couldn't call that a genocide. Uh, it took it took a resolution by Jeff Fortenberry uh, to put the Congress on record calling it a genocide, uh, and it was a genocide. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And now, you know, delay is denial when you're talking about these designations, uh, because I do believe if he's so designated a war criminal and the tribunal is set up immediately, uh, it will have some chilling effect on other people's complicity in these horrific crimes. The one thing that's unique about this, Congressman Smith, is that yes. technology. Uh, you know, we we saw what what happened uh, in Erbil and 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 or in the Middle East and in that region. But technology is such that we're very connected with what's happening with Ukraine, where we're seeing in real time not just news footage, but very graphic uh, clips being sent from individuals and being posted on social media accounts. And so the evidence, as you said, is right there. Times passed, we had to wait to collect the evidence after the conflict was over and we had to sort through the rubble. We have it right now. So the we next step right would be for the, the State Department to go to the United Nations and, and call for um, action, would it not? Absolutely. And I have a resolution that calls for that. Uh, we, we do want the president to take the lead. Uh, if not, some other foreign head of state should take the lead, but it ought to be the United States of America. Uh, we ought to be out front. You know, it's it's uh, important that we give Zelensky the kind of defensive aid capability that he desires. Why wasn't it given a year ago now uh, as those troops were being to amass and get deployed on the border uh, under the pretext of war games with Lukashenko in Belarus? But that said, this could be part of a of a holding to account and hopefully, you know, the people around Putin, including the Russian people, uh, if the world coalesces around your president is a war criminal, uh, they might be less uh, inclined to follow. And that goes for the soldiers as well. And you know, Tony, we've seen those clips of those, those young conscripts, those young Russian soldiers, who didn't have a clue that they, this is what they were going to be called upon to do. Uh, so I think we need to spread that kind of of um, uh, accountability throughout the entire ranks. And look at all the people protesting in, in Moscow and elsewhere. And of course, they're being batted down and hit and hurt by the Russian secret police. But that said, those numbers will grow if an indictment is handed down immediately. And let me also say, it ought to be done, if we can't do it in the Security Council, which is unlikely because of the veto power that both China and Russia has, well then let's do it in the General Assembly. And that's where a resolution could be uh, offered uh, and a tribunal established. Very quickly, uh, Congressman Smith, before we're out of time, what can our listeners and viewers do? Well, I think uh, call your congressman, call a pray, and I think prayer more than anything else uh, is needed during this these atrocities, which absolutely breaks your heart. Uh, when, when President Zelensky uh, gave his address virtually to a joint session of Congress, and I was there like I think every other member, uh, he showed a video clip that was just, you know, not unlike what we see every night, but right. when you see all of those people, um, call your congressman, call the White House. Uh, I think the number, if I'm not mistaken, is 456-1414. Uh, call them uh, and say, tribunal, indict them. Why wait? We yeah. waited with Milosevic. We made, waited with Charles Taylor. Uh, in Rwanda, and uh, uh, he was president of Liberia. Uh, I was pushing for the one uh, uh, for Yugoslavia uh, for months and then years. It was very slow, but now, as you pointed out so so well, uh, this is in real time. We see it all. Right. We always add to the to the indictment. Congressman Chris Smith, we're out of time, but always great to talk with you. Thanks for your leadership on Capitol Hill. Tony, thank you so very much, and thank you for your leadership. Uh, both on Capitol Hill and throughout this country. It's incredible. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Stick with us, folks. We're coming back with more after this.
Here's Dan Celia with today's Stewardship Moment. Doesn't it seem that we will forever be in debt? Whether it be to our fellow man or financial debt, it seems like it's never going to end. But I hope as Christians we recognize our debt to God. We know His goodness, we certainly know His love, and we know the spiritual strength in which He surrounds us. Another debt we can never fully discharge. We are able, however, to pay something on account. We are stewards of His love and His talents that He's given us, and of all the resources in our lives. We are His. Let's pay something on that account. You've just heard a stewardship moment with Dan Celia of Financial Issues Ministry, helping you plan, give, and invest wisely. For more information, log on to financialissues.org. That's financialissues.org. Back in 07, my father passed away. My mother had passed away seven years earlier, and they left me a small inheritance, and I wanted to give back to AFA for all they have done for me. Carol talks about her experience with the AFA Foundation. I am an avid listener to AFR, 12 hours a day, and I hear Dan Celia talking about the charitable gift annuity. I liked what the uh, gift annuity offered, donated a certain amount, and from that, I get a check every month, which is retirement income for me. If you'd like to support the work of the AFA and receive a fixed income for life, a charitable gift annuity from the AFA Foundation may just be what you're looking for. Learn more by contacting the Foundation at 800-326-4543, extension 345. This is Washington Watch, and I'm Tony Perkins, the website, TonyPerkins.com. Well, two years after the Capitol building was closed to the public in response to COVID, plans are finally underway for a reopening. But it is a three-phased opening, with business as usual not returning until after Labor Day. Now, museums, stadiums, theaters, businesses, and workplaces are open across the country. But the U.S. Capitol can't fully reopen until September. Citizens' right to petition Congress is directly enshrined in the Constitution, making it long past time for the People's House to fully open, allowing the American people access to their government. Joining me now as a leader in this effort to reopen the Capitol, Congressman Brian Stile. He is a member of the Committee on House Administration and House Financial Services Committee and represents Wisconsin's 1st Congressional District. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me on. All right. You have been very clear that this uh, proposed three-phase opening is not good enough. Tell us why. It's woefully inadequate for a couple reasons. One, it doesn't fully reopen the United States Capitol uh, in the House of Representatives until Labor Day. We need to rip the Band-Aid off these COVID-era policies immediately and get our way of life back. Two, we still have a process here in the House of Representatives where individuals have to be invited to come and speak to their member of Congress. You'd almost think the Democrats were nervous about having constituents come here to the Hill to talk about higher costs, to talk about failed energy policies, to talk about the fact that the Democrats won't secure the border, and the list goes on. And third, we have individuals coming to the United States Capitol from school groups all across the country this spring. And instead of allowing tours of the United States Capitol, the bastion of democracy, what we're seeing is Nancy Pelosi dramatically limiting tours to all these school groups coming in. It just makes your heart sink for these students. Yeah, this is uh, this is something that is a once in a lifetime for many of these kids to be able to come to Congress, see how our government is supposed to work. Now, Congressman, some of your colleagues have used the excuse that, well, security is an issue. Uh, we still have January 6th to deal with. In fact, uh, Congressman Gerald Conley of Virginia said this. He's, he, this was last year he when discussing the opening of the Capitol, he said, um, for some lawmakers, just seeing members of the public back in the Capitol building could bring back memories of that violent day. You know, I, I don't mean to be offensive, but you know what? I think it's time for them to put on their big boy pants and either 
go to work and allow the American people to have access to their government or get another job, quite frankly. Yeah, we just have to rip the Band-Aid off of all of these COVID-era policies, off of all the January 6th excuses as it relates to allowing members of the public access uh, to the United States Capitol and access to come and share their grievances with their members of Congress. It's no doubt uh, that we're seeing a lot of excuses from the left. Originally, it was COVID. That was the original reason the United States Capitol uh, and the House office building closed over two years ago. The tune has shifted, and now it's a little more January 6th than it is COVID. Uh, but again, it's excuse after excuse rather than reopening the Capitol. We have the tools in the toolkit to make sure that members of the public and members of Congress are safe and secure. And we can do that by reopening the House office buildings and allowing uh, individuals to come in, share their grievances with their members of Congress, and obtain a tour of the Capitol. It's beyond frustrating that Nancy Pelosi continues to keep the United States Capitol and the House closed. Are you seeing any movement from the other side of the aisle among Democrats to say, yeah, it is time to reopen? Maybe a little tiny bit, but they don't want it to reopen. They don't want to allow us to get our way of life back. They don't want to return to normal. They want to create a new normal going forward. That's what's so darn frustrating. House office buildings used to be fully open to the public. You'd be able to come in, walk through basic airport-style security, come in and meet with your member of Congress. Now, you're not allowed in the building without an invitation. Uh, so any member that doesn't want to meet with a constituent that's upset has the ability to keep them outside the building. That's absurd. We need to yeah. be working in the opposite direction to allow members of the public to come in and share their frustrations with all the crazy policies that are going on in Washington, D.C. right now. Right. And even for those of us who uh, are, are in D.C. working, even to get to the Capitol is such a hassle. And so most of the time it's not worth the hassle because it takes so much time to clear all the hurdles uh, to get in for meetings on Capitol Hill. Yeah, absolutely. And what Nancy Pelosi and the House Democrats are doing is making it more difficult for people to come in. It's always been a challenge. I understand that. But they're adding to the burden. They're adding yeah. in requirements. They're tracking who comes into the United States, uh, House Representatives' office buildings. Uh, it is just kind of disgraceful what they've done uh, and their work to continue to prevent us from just getting our way of life back up here on Capitol Hill and across the country. Well, Congressman Stahl, I appreciate you joining us today, and I appreciate you pushing for the Capitol to be reopened to the American people. Thank you very much. All right. And, uh, you know, I, I'm quite frankly, I'm tired of hearing this January 6th thing. Uh, again, and I'll, I'll just restate it. If they, can't, uh, if, if, if they can't deal with reality and go to work, then they need to find another job. And look, we, we had a shooting at FRC 10 years ago by a Southern Poverty Law Center inspired, incited LGBTQ activists. And guess what? We were back at work the next day. I have no sympathy for those who want to be shielded from the American public. That's what it's all about. Because they cannot tolerate being challenged for their destructive policies that they're pushing on America. Okay, I got that off my chest. Coming up next, we're going to be joined by Kristen Wagner, lead attorney with Alliance Defending Freedom. She was on Yale University campus for a free speech event. But the students, they can't tolerate free speech. What does that say about the future of the legal system in America? We talk about it next here on Washington Watch. For centuries, the Bible has inspired humanity and shaped the very world we live in. But how do we know this book is the Word of God and not merely the words of men? What we believe about the Bible is based on what we believe about its source. The God Who Speaks explores the evidence of the Bible's inspiration and authority through some of the world's most respected biblical scholars. We have essentially a dual authorship. So it's true to say that Paul wrote Romans, it's equally true to say that God wrote Romans. He says, we saw this, and that sets the Bible apart from almost everything else in the ancient world and its religious pantheon of gods and goddesses. The God Who Speaks is a feature-length documentary from the American Family Association. Available now at thegodwhospeaks.org.
What does the American Family Association stand for? AFA upholds the truth that all human beings, including the unborn, are created in the image of God and are worthy of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us. Today's culture is opting for entertainment rather than biblical enlightenment. For those who resist that trend, Friends of Israel shows listeners why loving the Jewish people and supporting Israel is important to the Christian faith. Friends of Israel shares biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah and promotes solidarity with the Jewish people. This is Chris Katolka of the Friends of Israel Today radio program heard each weekend on this station, and here's what's happening in Israel. Friends of Israel, Saturday afternoon at 2, here on American Family Radio. The following are real life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income. It was not a good situation. I couldn't pay my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I initially was scared to call and immediately I felt relieved. They contacted all of our creditors and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, this probably probably does not come as a surprise, but mob rule took over one of our nation's elite institutions. Uh, Yale Law students attempted to shout down a diverse panel on civil liberties. The event turned so chaotic that police were eventually called in to escort panelists from the building. The event featured a progressive atheist speaking along with Kristen Wagner of the Alliance Defending Freedom. They both found common ground over a 2021 Supreme Court case involving legal remedies for First Amendment violations, demonstrating that a liberal atheist and a conservative Christian both support free speech. But more than 100 Ivy League law students apparently find free speech too unpalatable to tolerate. With me now is Alliance Defending Freedom's General Counsel, Kristen Wagner, who joins us to discuss her experience in New Haven last week. Kristen, welcome to Washington Watch. Hi, Tony. It's nice to be here. So um, tell us about the event at at Yale. This was a free speech event in which you and a, a progressive atheist, who obviously has a different worldview but agrees that our First Amendment is important, found that there's not too many at Yale that find the First Amendment uh, acceptable. Well, you're absolutely right. It was deeply disappointing to have essentially two female litigators, both who have argued at the Supreme Court, representing ADF, as well as the American Humanist Association, want to speak to the students about where we found common ground. And the Supreme Court decision we were there to talk about was an eight to one decision. And nonetheless, the students didn't want to hear about that decision. They would rather hurl insults and physical threats. And um, it got to the point where it was so volatile that we couldn't even exit the building without security. Yeah, I watched the video of, I played, we played a little B-roll of that, but I watched the videos they were shouting as the professor, who I guess was the host of this uh, free speech setting, and I, I don't want to miss the irony here, free speech setting, that the students, they all had signs, so juvenile, had signs, but they were hurling, uh, well, profanity, uh, they were speaking profanities. They were making threats. They had uh, the, the certain appendages of their hand extended forward. Uh, so it was it was it's fascinating to me that they can't even tolerate a conversation between two people who have very different perspectives but agree that the First Amendment is fundamental. What does that tell us about the future of American law? I think that's what was the most concerning to me leaving that room was that they were not able to engage in any kind of critical thinking. 
in any intellectual curiosity. There was such a lack of humility and just basic civility to be able to engage with viewpoints they disagreed with. And again, that wasn't even the topic. There, there was nothing controversial about the topic we were speaking about. Um, I will also say, Tony, that I was disappointed that's the only video that was captured because that was probably the tamest part of the event was when they were addressing their own professor, which was extremely disrespectful in the way that they spoke to her and the hand gestures towards her. But that was nothing compared to the next hour that we were in that room. Now, now, Kristen, were you ever able to speak? Did you Were you able to ever engage in the conversation? Yes, and to some extent. Um, at some point, the protesters all in unison, there, there were about, I've been told, about 150 people in the room. About 120 of them were protesters. Um, they all stood up at one point at one time um, after snapping their fingers and doing these precocious juvenile gestures. Um, came down to the front next to me, and Monica from the Humanist Association walked right by us, slapped some signs down, called us some names, walked out of the room. But then for the next 45 minutes or so, they began to pound on the walls outside of the exits of the room and to scream and chant and those kinds of things. In those moments, we were able to get some words in. But then they came back in a few minutes later again to start their jeering and their hurling of insults. You know, the, the response is, uh, as you said, lack of civility. I mean, what makes our country work is that we have, you know, we're a melting pot. We have different backgrounds, different ideas, but we have a common ethic, if you will, the, the, the American ethic, which is uh, out of many, the one. And you can't do that if you can't have conversations. And that's what's been very troubling as I've watched. I, I mean, I've been escorted off of campuses, even my alma mater of LSU, uh, because of this intolerance toward differing viewpoints. But we can, if we can't have a conversation, we can't debate these big issues of our day, we will become a more divided nation. I'm not sure if it's possible to be even more divided um, it, in the sense that those, you know, the Yale Law School is supposed to be training up our future leaders, um, future not only litigators, but Supreme Court justices, uh, legislators, um, leaders, corporate executives, and their inability to tolerate any opinion but their own um, demonstrates to us that we're really starting to head towards this sort of tyranny, I think, where the mob thinks that they will rule and crush any opposing viewpoints. And I think for me, this experience, um, it didn't frighten me. Uh, it just deepened my commitment to show up early and often and to do so without anger, to be kind and to civil and civil and to model that to them, but not to back down from the truth and the importance of what's at stake here. Well, that's one thing I like about you, Kristen. You've never done that. You've always shown courage under control, and uh, we're grateful for that. But let me ask you, did you, did you ever feel physically in danger uh, during this event? I'm going to share a story real quick with you, Tony, that I, I probably wouldn't share in other, other forums. But uh, every once in a while, I can count on about one hand when I get really nervous before something. Um, and my legs were shaking in those moments, um, to be honest. But I also want to share this moment with you, which was when a note was passed up to me that was typed, and it was a scripture verse. I get a little emotional even thinking about it because it was just the intensity and the volatility in that room. And there was a student who had known in advance that there was going to be a problem potentially. He thought through it and he sent me an encouraging word from the scripture and said, keep the faith and good luck. And that just emboldened me in the sense that I thought he doesn't, he's not able to speak his mind in this, in this moment, but I can. And to know that, you know, God goes before us and, and the truth helps human flourishing. So we're on the right side of this and we need to engage by loving our neighbor which means speaking the truth in kindness. Wow, powerful story. God has his people everywhere. It reminds me of the story of Martin Niemöller, who was being escorted to court, and the Nazi guard that was escorting him simply whispered into his ears, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. God has his people everywhere. And uh, Kristen, always grateful to have you on the program, but thankful for your um, compassionate, but courageous and com your committed stand for, uh, for truth. And of course, the partnership with uh, ADF always appreciated. Thanks so much for being with us.
Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. All right. Kristen Wagner with Alliance Defending Freedom. This is, look, this is an Ivy League law school. Many of our Supreme Court judges, justices, our appellate court judges, many of our district court judges, I mean, some of the top legal minds of America come from this institution. And this tells you the track that we're on. Joining me now to talk more about this is uh, one of our own attorneys. He is the Vice President of Policy and Government Affairs here at the Family Research Council, and that is Travis Weber. Travis, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. You know, as Kristen was uh, describing what took place, and I've read news accounts that uh, verify everything that she said, that they were out there beating, stomping their feet, you know, making all these noises. It sounds very, frankly, demonic, and it is very similar to what happened at uh, the confirmation of Justice Kavanaugh when uh, the left was throwing a fit at the door of the Supreme Court, literally scratching and kicking at the door of the Supreme Court. Yeah, I mean, it really seems here, you know, like we have a breakdown in reason and order, it, you know, as we examine kind of the underlying behavior here, whether uh, this instance or the Kavanaugh hearings. I think, you know, just reflecting on this, Tony, I think many of us are familiar with the issues in the educational system, in higher ed, in universities and on campuses. But I think what's really alarming here and, and sadly ironic is the legal system at law schools of which Yale is viewed as the top U.S. law school, or one, or the most difficult one to get get into, the legal education system is supposed to be uh, promoting debate, promoting an exchange of ideas. The whole framework of law school, and I went through four years of law school, an additional uh, master's in law to my JD degree. But the whole point is to train students on how to understand the arguments of different sides. If if students are promoting or arguing one side, the professor's job is to say, what is the other side's argument? Even if you don't disagree, if you don't agree with it, your job is to understand the argument and to be able to articulate it. That's the very opposite of what was going on here. And aside from the, just the ridiculous behavior and alarming behavior, we're not, even, we're not even creating a functional legal education system. Now, some might say that's happened, you know, that's done and, and gone long ago, but I would... I would say, you know, observing this, this is particularly alarming and really moves us towards a dangerous view of what, uh, how we view a civic leadership of which uh, the legal profession is a part and Yale Law School in particular, dangerous view of what that would mean for our country. Really, I think, dark and foreboding. I think this calls us to pray and to be aware and engage, but it's very dangerous as we look at what happened here and the implications for, for us in the years ahead. Well, as Christian was describing, this was a, um, a conversation, not, not really a debate, more of a conversation with a, a progressive atheist uh, from the Humanist Association, uh, one of those associations that would ha- had a, a different worldview, but a similar perspective on the First Amendment that is important. And this is, the, this is uh, something I've made reference to many times on the program. There's a difference between liberals who, you know, have a different worldview, but they they understand that our process requires that we preserve certain rights and we have debate, discussion, and reach consensus. The left is different. Left and liberal are not the same. What this display that we saw at Yale really harkens back to the French Revolution, where there is no deviation from what is said to be what is demanded. And those who are, you know, they, they refuse to get in line are silenced. Yeah, you, re- you really see that happening here. You know, and if, if those who study history will observe when um, uh, the communists came into power in the Soviet Union, the early part of this century, uh, the past century, uh, when the Nazis took over, uh, you referenced the French Revolution. You can look at communism spreading to Cuba and elsewhere. There's a a takeover of of uh, the leadership pillars of society, including the legal profession, and lawyers in those regimes are trained to implement a totally different approach, uh, and it perverts justice. You know, you study the show trials in the Soviet Union; it was about a political outcome, and, and justice and the law were manipulated to get there. We are, if you examine what's happening here with with the the refusal to consider other views, the desired outcome, and the the militancy with which it's being enforced. You see hints of that. There are shades 
and hints of, of similarity between what has happened in those regimes, which many would agree are despotic, yet America is, is moving in that direction. Certainly in this instance where we're examining intolerance and what should be the enlightened leaders of our society. This is really sad, and Yale Law School should be, I mean, this should be a shame for this kind of thing occurring there. Now, I, I will say un, the undercurrent with this and so many other things is the whole LGBTQ transgender uh, agenda, which is was very much a part of the messaging there at Yale. So we've diagnosed the, the problem, Travis Weber. Uh, I think everybody, you know, sees what is happening in terms of the desire to silence opposing voices those who oppose the left. So what's the solution? When we Let's focus just on when we look at our legal system and this being a major pipeline of judges and lawyers and so on and so forth. What do we do? Because this certainly is not the path we want to go on, go down as a nation if we want to survive. Yeah, I think there are several things. One is just for all of us as Americans to model what proper behavior is. The, the civil and, and firm with, you know, participation in debate with convictions where we stand up for our views with respect and we don't back down, but we are engaging with those who disagree. As we model that, whether in or out of law school, uh, that's going to that's gonna prayerfully and hopefully spread throughout society. I think secondly, to the specific situation here, Tony, I think those engaging the legal profession, whether students going to law school, those who are, who are involved in supporting or working with law schools in various ways, need to recognize the reality of what's going on here. And if this kind of thing is not corrected, realize that Yale or whoever is supporting, whatever entity is supporting this kind of behavior from their students is not serving the legal profession. And other institutions need to be looked to as those who will educate our future lawyers. I mean, this this is really the way practically ahead for the legal profession. And uh, obviously there are implications for that in the broader educational system. And, and how we uh, are, you know, if students are learning these things in younger uh, levels of education, high school or elementary school, then um, the issue needs to be dealt with there. And I know we do a lot yeah. of that, but, but families need to look at that and take guard to make sure their children are not raised up in that mindset. Yeah, I think, I, I, I think what we saw there at Yale or what we're seeing there at Yale is the manifestation of years, years of uh, preparation. And that's what's happening in the indoctrination. However, I do think that, um, you know, the Senate, in particular, the Senate Judiciary Committee, where judges are confirmed, should send a very strong message that this is not this is intolerable. And uh, and for those that would be coming from these institutions, they're going to get a second look before they would be confirmed to these posts. So I think there needs to be some self-policing on behalf of uh, these institutions that are training up uh, lawyers. Travis, we're out of time. I want to thank you for joining us. Always great to, uh, to talk with you. Thank you. And folks, I want to encourage you to, uh, to do your part, to be bold, to be courageous, to speak out and not shrink back in the face of the intolerance of the left. Do what the Apostle Paul says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, when you've taken your stand, by all means, standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.